we're just going to stand here in the dark. It's cool. Um, thanks for being here. It's so wonderful to see you guys. You can stand if you are able or if you would like to. We're going to worship the Lord together. Here we go. I'm going to read this. Uh, before I read our prayer, I have wanted to share this quote with you from theologian Walter Brueggemann, who says, Sabbath is the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. Amen. Let's celebrate the Sabbath rest this morning. Um, this prayer that I'm going to read is called the Sabbath Blessing. It was written by Pete Gregg. It says, may this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. Amen. Let's worship him together.
and read this call to worship from Psalm chapter 34, verse 3 and verse 4. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Amen.
Amen. Well, Nikki and I were on the same page this morning because I, too, was looking at the um, Lectio devotion this morning, and um, I prayed these prayers this morning, and I had it also in my heart to bring those 
uh, before us all because I just thought it was a really great prayer today. So we were on the same page there, and um, I won't share the same things that Nikki already shared, but friends, I want to give you this invitation this morning, this invitation that comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verse, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and eat. There's an invitation for the church this morning, for you, for us as as individuals, but for us as the body of Christ to come before the Lord, to be open and honest with where we are and with what's on our heart, and to present ourselves before the Lord authentically and wait for him to come and to give a drink to our weary, thirsty souls. So would you, as we enter into this time of prayer, just come before God. If you want to come forward to these altars, they are here. If you want to just remain seated and pray at your seat, you are welcome. But let's come before our God together this morning. And let us allow him to provide nourishment for our souls. God, we come before you today. God, we come before you this morning as people who, many of us who are just weary and tired. Maybe it's our soul that's weary. Maybe some of us are physically exhausted, we're drained mentally. God, I know there are some in our midst today who are dealing with ongoing health issues. And that can be so overwhelming and discouraging. It can just feel like their entire lives are at a halt because of the ongoing health issues. And so God, would you see those this morning? God, would you draw near to those who are just dealing with one health issue after another or one that's just simply not getting better. God, would you draw near to those who come here this morning weary, maybe brokenhearted, in need of a healing touch, broken and needing to be made whole, God, would you be with those? Would you draw near to those who this morning are in a waiting season and and lurking around the corner is an entire season of the unknown? There was an unexpected curveball thrown their way and now suddenly they find themselves in in a serious tension, not knowing what's going to come next or what to do. God, would you draw near to those who need to be reminded of your peace, your infinite strength, your ability to to give us wisdom and discernment and peace in the waiting. Part of what Nikki shared, Lord, is that this is the Sabbath. This is a day where we ideally refrain from any kind of of work or any kind of of anything that 
that is like work for us so that we can simply rely on you, not on our own production, not on what we are, are capable of doing, but God, we sit and we intentionally pause and do nothing but come before you and wait for you to give us more of your grace, more of your abundant provision. And it's a time where we can, can not only rest in your love and in your peace and in your goodness, but God, it's a, it's a time where we can sit and trust that you are the provider, that you hold this entire world, the entire universe in your hands, and God, there's nothing that you can't do. So whatever it is that, that we are longing for or find ourselves in need of today, God, on this Sabbath day, we come before our creator and we acknowledge a deep, profound need for more of you. God, we thank you that you truly have always been faithful to give us everything we could ever need. And you are aware of our needs God, you've provided before, and we know you will do it again. God, would you help us to trust in your goodness? Help us to trust in your perfect provision. God, we pray for all of those who are, are gone today, whether they are dealing with sickness. God, we pray for this this uptick in, in COVID, of COVID that we're seeing, and, and we pray for all of those who are, who are catching uh, this virus again, some for the first time. God, would you be with all of those who, who are dealing with sickness today? Would you draw near to them? Touch their bodies, God. We pray for those who are traveling today. We pray that you would be with them, help them to know that you are with them, help them to sense your presence and to carry your presence with them where they go. And God, I pray that as we open up your word, we say this a lot, but I pray truly that we would be willing to open our hearts to receive your word for your people today. God, I pray that you would help us to have an imagination. All of our kids are in here today, and, and I love it when the kids are in here for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons is that kids are tangible uh, reminders of, of, of imagination, and kids have amazing imaginations. And so, God, I pray that today us old adults, us worn, weary, tired, discouraged adults. I pray that we could, could have a Christ-like imagination, that, that we could, could embrace a sense of wonder, that, that we could lean into the creative side and that we would see, God, this vision that you have for us, your people, would you help us to, to just have this renewed sense of, of vision, of, of, of curiosity of how we can go about being your people in a better, uh, holier way? 
God, as we open up your word, may we not be filled with resentment or discouragement or bitterness, but God, may we truly be able to see the way that you have called us to live. Would you help us to see the vision that you have created for your church, for us, your people? Help us to receive, help us to embrace, help us to faithfully live this out. We've come a long way, but we also have a long ways to go. And so God, we pray for your strength, for your mercy when we get it wrong. God, would you just continue to strengthen us, fill us with more of you so that we can reflect your beauty, your love, your mercy, and your grace to those around us. God, we thank you for drawing near to us during this time of prayer, this time of openness, vulnerability, Holy Spirit, would you remain with us? Would you continue to to be with us this morning? God, we love you. We thank you for your endless love that you continue to, to give to us. We thank you for all that you've done in our hearts and in our lives. God, would you just continue to move in a unique way today? We're here, we're open, and we'll wait for you. We pray this in the name of God our Father, in the name of Christ the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for leading us, worship team. As I mentioned earlier, we do have our kiddos with us today, the first Sunday of the month, so we're always glad to have them with us. And um, I did put a little extra work today because the kids were going to be with us, and I created a word search. I mean, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I put all the words into, you know, a word search engine that created it for me, okay? And uh, so there's a word search out in the foyer, kids, if you're interested in grabbing one and and looking for those words that follow along with the sermon today. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to gain a little something, too. Um, and just in case anybody missed it, Uh, I want to remind you in person here, standing before you, that next Sunday, we're going to try something a little new, a little different, called Sack Lunch Sunday. And uh, after the service ends next Sunday, we're going to invite everyone who can and who's willing to hang out here a little bit longer. And if you'd like to bring a a lunch of some kind, a sack lunch or a sandwich that you went and picked up that morning, bring it here, save it for after the service, and we're just going to find places to sit and enjoy lunch together. Uh, This is just a way for us to 
maybe meet some of the newer faces that have been around, coming around lately, and to just fellowship and get to know each other. Uh, we're going to have a lot of people gone next week and the following weeks for the rest of the September, but uh, we're going to hopefully do this again. I hope to make this a semi-regular thing, depending on uh, how it goes. So yeah, I just want to make sure you're all aware of that, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm also really excited because today we're beginning a new sermon series, and um, I'm already feeling very hopeful that God is going to have a special invitation for us, his church, uh, as we go throughout the book of Ephesians. So we're going to be spending the next several weeks in the book of Ephesians, and um, I just feel really hopeful. I don't know how to explain it other than I feel really hopeful. I think there is a good word for the church in the book of Ephesians, but there's always a but. I think that this will only be effective if you come open before God. If you come open before God and and almost, if you can, lean into your imagination a little bit, come open before God, forgetting everything that you've known about what it means to be the church and receive these words with fresh eyes with an open heart and just be willing to hear the heart of the Apostle Paul who is taking his cues straight from Jesus himself, okay? And so I think this could be really great, but we do need to come open. And so for those of you who might not be familiar with the book of Ephesians, I do want to just give you a little bit of background. Today, we're kind of just laying a foundation for future weeks So hang with me. This part is always maybe not the most exciting part for some, and then I just kind of set you up to be disappointed already, but I do think that this stuff is helpful. It's kind of the the information that you may skip over sometimes, but I do think it's really helpful so that we can better hear from the Apostle Paul as he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. If you want to hear more about Paul's relationship with the church in Ephesus, you might make a note to go back to Acts chapter 19 and read that later because that kind of sets up the beginning of Paul's relationship with the church in Ephesus. And we understand that Paul spent somewhere around three months with this church in person, but he wrote this letter at a later time. And it's also believed that Paul wrote this letter while he was in uh, Roman custody, whether that meant he was imprisoned, so he's possibly, I think we imagine him writing this from a jail cell, or he was just kind of hanging out with a Roman guard, a Roman soldier. But but either way, it is believed that Paul wrote this while he was in uh, Uh, Roman custody of some kind. And we understand that Paul seemed to have an effective ministry while he was in uh, Ephesus, while he was spending time with this group of Christians who are seeking to learn what it means to be followers of Jesus. And I think what you will see as we go throughout this letter is that Paul has a heart for this church. That one of the things I appreciate is, is the pastoral concern that Paul has for the church in Ephesus. I can see the, the pastoral heart of Paul as it clearly shines already at the beginning of this letter. He truly cares 
for these people. And he may have some some hard word of instruction for them. There's some correction that's going to happen. But it all comes from a place of, of spiritual concern. Paul genuinely longs to see the church in Ephesus lean into what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be filled and equipped and used by the Spirit, and what it means to live in unity. And as a pastor, I have to tell you, this deeply resonates because I'm right there with him. That, that it's a joy to pastor a congregation. And if there are anything, if there's ever anything that discourages you, it's because you have this deep longing to, to see us live more into the vision that Jesus has for the church. And we see that here in this letter from the reading and studying that I've done this week, it seems that the church in Ephesus is a stable church that is starting to experience some growth, which is always good, right? We like growth, but like all churches, they have some issues and and we can relate, right? That doesn't mean that there's anything specifically negative that, that we're addressing today, but, but we can relate to this fact that, that we all deal with issues within the church from time to time. And so this is relevant for us. This is relatable for us. Some of the issues that Paul might be addressing that that we're going to see throughout the letter is this overall lack of motivation, maybe. That there's just a little bit of maybe discouragement because we we have different ideas of what it looks like to live out uh, a Christ-likeness. We have different ideas of what it means to, to be Christ to other people. We have different ideas as to what it means to be the church, the people of God. And so when we can't see eye to eye, it creates this, this discouraging, this lack of motivation. And, and I think Paul is addressing that in some sense. But one thing that you're really going to notice is that he is addressing some specific relational issues. Because anytime you get more than one more than two people together, there's going to be relational issues at some point or another, whether you've got a married couple, a family, a, a working situation, a coworker situation, a church situation. Anytime you get people together, there's going to be relational issues. And so Paul gives us uh, a vision for what it looks like to live out a Christ-likeness in our relationships. And, and all throughout the letter, you're going to see this theme. And that's why I've called this series Ephesians, Unity in Christ, because that is the overall theme that we're going to see and notice probably every week. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, we see this kind of come to light. It says, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is the, the goal here. That is the aim. That is what Paul is working toward. And so we'll get to, to the passage for today in just a moment, but, but I want to share with you kind of what Paul has said up until verse 15, which is where we're going to pick up in just a few moments. As Paul often does, I appreciate this about Paul, he, he tends to start with laying a theological foundation. I think that's something that is important to Paul regardless of of, of who he's writing to, of which church uh, he is speaking to. A theological foundation is important to him. And so he begins by essentially sharing the hope and the good news of the gospel. You guys don't really want to hear that though, right? Or do you want to hear the hope and the good news? The, the, the very thing that, that is why we are who we are? 
Maybe we should share it. Maybe let's liven this bunch up a little bit and remind ourselves of why we're here, of, of what we are about and, and why we have a, a, a life in our, in our midst, right? Paul starts off, he says, from the very beginning, you can, you can follow along if you want, I'm not reading, I'm just kind of summing it up, but, but Paul starts off essentially saying, from the very beginning, we see that we, humanity, mankind, we are chosen and loved by God. After all, we are the very good of God's creation. You can give yourself a pat on the back for that. You are the very good of God's creation. You were chosen and loved by God from the very beginning. Before you could ever do or say anything or respond in any way, God saw you and he said you are good and you are loved. Anything that comes after is not of God. God sees you and he says you are good and you are loved. And we see, of course, it doesn't take long before we see in the story, sin disrupts this holy union, this holy fellowship, this ideal between God and man, which affects our relationships between one another. We see that sin disrupts. We see that, that man chose other things, put other things before God time and time again. But then we see God's response and we see this best and fully in Jesus that God demonstrated his love for us and just how serious he was about communicating his love for us. And he begins by stepping into our world, into our brokenness, into our mess, and he lives among us. He takes on human flesh and he lays down his life for us. Jesus took on the sin of the world and because of his sacrifice, because he laid down his life for us, we are forgiven. Because of what Jesus has done, we are redeemed. Because of what Jesus has done, we have full abundant life. We have purpose, we have meaning, we have direction. We don't walk around with our head hung low, feeling like life is meaningless and nothing matters because of Christ, we have a purpose. We have an identity and we have a purpose. We discover in Christ who we were created to be. You will continue wandering around life, wondering who you were created to be if you live a life apart from Christ. And then Paul, I always appreciate his, his uh, Trinitarian theology, okay, big words. But Paul communicates that we have been given the Holy Spirit as an installment of what is to come. You, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you. And it's the same spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead. And this is, the Holy Spirit is given to us as an installment of what is to come, a glimpse, a first fruit of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is a living, breathing reminder of God's already and not yet redemption. God has already begun redeeming and God will continue to redeem until everything is as it should be. And so if we could sum up kind of the first part of what Paul has said to the church in Ephesus, this is what it would be, that we are adopted by the Father, that we are redeemed by the Son, and we are sealed by the Spirit. This is the theological foundation. The, the foundation, this is what we are building upon. So it's kind of like, because of this, now this. Are you with me? 
Because of all of this, now let's move on to to what this means for us. And so it's probably a good time to invite you to stand to kind of get the blood flowing, wake yourselves up a little bit. As you're invited, you don't have to stand, but you are invited to stand if you're able. And we're going to read today's passage, picking up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, reading through 23. Paul says, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That is the packed word of God for the people of God. Can you say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. That was a lot. And, um, you know, quite frankly, there's a couple of sermons that could be found in that passage. But but that's true for any given passage, any given week I've come to find. Uh, and so I, we'll just kind of break some of it down, okay? I've already, I've done the heavy lifting of, of kind of the majority of, of what's, what's deep about this passage. So from here on out, it's just going to be some really unique observations that I think will be encouraging for you guys. It was for me. But Paul begins this letter or this passage with thanksgiving and prayer. Again, his pastoral heart is displayed. Did you notice it? That that as he is writing to the church in Ephesus, as he's thinking about them, he wants them to know that he is thankful for them. That when he thinks about them, it brings good things to mind. That he cares so deeply for them. And, 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 And because he cares so deeply for them, because he is so concerned about their spiritual well-being because he wants to see them thrive, he has a prayer for them. And I appreciate this prayer, and I think it's, it's one that, that I would present before us today, that this is what I am praying for us. That, yes, this was a specific prayer for the church in Ephesus, but as I, as I kind of pulled it apart a little bit, I thought, this is good stuff. This is my prayer for us, and so consider this an invitation Paul says that, that he is praying for a few things. One of them is that he is praying that God would give them more wisdom and revelation so that they could know him better. Did you know that you will never, ever know everything there is to know about God? That's probably not a surprise to you, but I love that God's, God is so mysterious and, and, and all that God is is so complex and so deep that we can never grasp fully the character and nature of God. There is always more to discover. 
None of us have arrived. None of us have made it to this point where we know everything there is to know about God and about what it means to be the people of God. There's always more for us to learn and discover. And friends, I don't find that, maybe sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but that's exciting to me. That truly fills me with excitement because it means that that God is always uncovering more of himself so that we can know him better, so that we can live a healthier uh, life that is more fulfilled in who he is. There's always more to discover. There's more to learn and know. And Paul prays that the church in Ephesus would not just have a knowledge about God, that they wouldn't just know about God, but that they would know him deeply. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, I echo this, that, that my prayer is that we would know God deeply, that we would hunger to know more of the depth of the glory and the love of God. There is always more to discover. There's more for us to know and learn about God. And so I love that Paul is praying that God would give the church in Ephesus and then us, as what I'm praying, more uh, wisdom and discernment so that we can know him better. Will you receive that this morning? Will you receive that prayer, that, that invitation to know God better, to know him deeply? Paul goes on, and another part of his prayer is that their hearts would be opened and enlightened to the hope that they have in Christ. And I'm pretty sure I say this phrase every single week, multiple times a week open our hearts. We sang it today. Open the eyes of our heart. Like, I don't want us to just say that phrase like it's a cliche, churchy phrase that we use. Like, I genuinely mean it. We sing this song that is years and years old, not because it's like, oh, we haven't done this one in a while. Let's do it. But it's intentional. It's we mean it. We come here before God, and and we're not just here to check a box. I'm not anyways, full disclosure. I'm here to be challenged. I'm here to grow, to know God better and know what it means to be the people of God. And so we pray, God, open our hearts, enlighten our hearts so that we can be reminded of the hope and purpose we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My prayer is that we would see and understand this glorious life that God has called us to, this glorious, beautiful life that God has planned for us that we would see that he has called us for a purpose, that our identity is found in him and in him alone. And I pray that we would discover that, that we would be open to how God is calling us to find our identity in him. And then the last part of Paul's prayer, these are kind of broken up in verses, I believe it's 18, 19, and and 20, or maybe it's 17, 18, 19. Nonetheless, he says, I pray that you would believe in what God's power can do. And this is another one I feel deeply for us, church. I think we severely limit God and what he's capable of doing, both in us and in our midst. The very fact that when we look at the world, when we look at our country, when we look at society, our immediate response is to feel discouraged and overwhelmed to the point where we just want to hunker down and hide from the world. I understand that's a normal response. I understand that that comes from this this sense of feeling like we don't recognize this place in this world anymore, and I get that. But I also really deeply, truly believe that God's power is infinite, and it's enough that, that he can still move even in today's world, even in and through us today with all that we feel like is happening in our world. God's power is infinite. He is enough. 
He is enough to fill us and to use us to be a blessing to this world. His power is readily available. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that, that God's power is readily available? That he's calling you to to partner with him. He has invited you to be on mission with him. And he is not asking you to do it in your own power and in your own strength. Thanks be to God. But he's inviting us and he's, he's promising to fill us with his power and his strength. The moment we try to do this in our own strength and our own power, we fail. We fail before we've even begun because it's not in our strength and it's not in our power, only through the power of God. The same power, Paul says, that raised Christ from the dead. That's all important and, and that's all what I am praying for us today. I'm praying all of this for us today. But here's, I've saved the very best for last. It's like dessert. Are you ready? You just had the, the full main course and it was a lot and you're probably feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can do any more, but I promise it's worth it. This is not very good for, for like discouraging gluttony and whatnot. So just, it's a metaphor, you know, don't, don't take it too far. But truly, I saved the best for last because you may have noticed today or just in general that Paul uses a certain kind of language often in multiple letters. This is not Paul's only letter to churches. This is just one of many. And in a lot of his letters, he uses this specific language where he refers to the church as the, anybody want to say it? Body. He refers to church as the body and Christ as the head. This is Pauline language that we see often in his letters. He speaks of the church as the body, and he speaks of Christ as the head of the church. In verse 22, in case you missed it, he even says it here, God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I know it's clunky, it's a lot. Paul is known to do that, and you just gotta try to take it a little piece at a time. And I think we can probably agree this metaphor makes a lot of sense, right? It does to me anyways. A body is an active and growing organism. And that's hopefully what we are. Hopefully we're active and hopefully we're growing, always growing. Because we are susceptible, however, to sin, we submit to the head, which is Christ. We submit to to the head, which is Christ, meaning we are equipped by Christ who is the head of us, the church. He equips us for holy living. He helps us to know what it looks like to be a healthy, thriving body. And here's where it gets really interesting. I really hope that you find this as interesting as I did this week. I learned something new this week. I learned that this metaphor of the body is an ancient metaphor that was commonly used in the ancient world but by secular people. So often, the most often this metaphor was used was by ancient philosophers and ancient politicians. They loved this metaphor of the body. And immediately your radar just went off, right? You heard the the second P word and you were like, what? Nope, skeptical already. Because anytime we hear politicians, like immediately we just get this bad taste in our mouth. I get it. It's unfortunately the way it is, I guess. 
But they would use this metaphor of the body to encourage each person in a community, in a society, to, to do their part, to, for, to fulfill his or her role in the community for the sake of the whole, for the good of the whole. Stay with me. Greek and Latin authors, they would use this metaphor of the body to explain and to rationalize the class and the economic divisions within society as it was necessary for the proper function of the entire society. Are you following? I know, it's a lot. But if you follow me, it's going to be worth it. Do you, do you see how this could be used for good, but also it could be really bad, Right? If we're talking about a secular society where power sits at the top and power is instructing all of the the people who don't have the power, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to operate. You need to do your part for the good of the whole, for the good of the body, right? You do your part to make my part easier. You do your part and you stick with that. You don't question it. You don't step out of line. You do your part to, to serve the better the body, the whole, me. You see how that could be misused easily? Like my injustice radar went off immediately because I see this as a breeding ground for oppression and injustice to those who were deemed smaller, less than, lower, less meaningful parts of, of the body, of the whole. Do it for the good of the body. This is how we maintain the good of of the whole. You need to understand, this is all backed up. This is scholarly driven, okay? This is not like something I stumbled upon. You need to understand that this was no doubt a way to reinforce a hierarchical status quo, okay? There was a status quo and this was meant to enforce it. And so I find it very interesting that Paul who is well aware of this metaphor that's used in secular culture, uses this to describe the relationship between the church and Christ. I find it very fascinating also when we consider that his readers would have no doubt learned, known this as well. That his readers, as they are reading it, they, the, the wheels are spinning in their brain because they're thinking, wow, this is how we're told by society to live and this is what we're told by society, what it means to be the body. And now Paul is, is kind of flipping that upside down. And if you haven't caught that yet, it's all very interesting because Paul's description of Christ as the head of the body is interesting and flips it upside down because of the fact that Christ laid his life down for the body, right? Like the head of the body was the guy who laid down his life for the body. That's upside down from the way that culture operates, That's upside down from the way that society did operate and still does operate. Paul, who takes his cues from Jesus, he has flipped this metaphor upside down. He takes this commonly used metaphor. It's actually really brilliant if you think about it. He takes this commonly understood and used metaphor and he breathes the life of the gospel into it. I love how scholar Lynn Kohick, who, by the way, this is, I got all this from her. And so she says this. She says, 
Paul turned this supposition on its head, pun intended, for the head of the church's body is the crucified Lord. Allow that to sink in. Like, you have to know that people were hearing this and they're like, Paul, think about what you're saying. Like, this is crazy. The head of this body is is a crucified Lord? And so she says, therefore, each member, this is the beauty of this, friends. Therefore, each member of the body is of infinite worth and is graced with infinite love. That's what it means to be a part of this body. Every person matters. Every person was worth dying for. Every person is worth more of your love, your patience, your grace, your mercy, your willingness to do the hard stuff and to keep going because we all are members of this body of which Christ is the head and he showed us what true love looks like and that is laying your life down for the sake of the other. Thankfully, When Jesus did that, he, through the power of God, was raised to new life, and now he reigns. He reigns supreme, and so we submit to the way that he has called us to live because he is Lord. See, here's what I think Paul is saying as he uses this metaphor in this really amazing way, this commonly used metaphor. I think what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, and friends, this is a word for us to He's saying, essentially, before Christ, you lived a certain way. You did things a certain way. You acted a certain way. You thought a certain way. You treated people a certain way for a certain reason, and you didn't question it. You just did it because that's the way the world works. That's the way society works. But God... But Jesus, because of Jesus, there is a new beautiful way. There's a new way of life. There's a new way of love. There is this way of wholeness. There is this way of unity. And this way is backwards from the ways of the world. And it ought to be so striking, church, that when the world looks at us, when the world looks at followers of Jesus, it should be so striking to them that they look at us with mouths agape, scratching their heads, wondering, How is it possible that people could have this much love for other people, that people could be this loving toward other people? They ought to stand in disbelief. How is this kind of grace possible? How is this kind of love possible? How is this kind of holiness and Christ-likeness possible? And that is where we have the opportunity to point to Jesus and say it's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. It's because he lives. It's because he's Lord. And this is how he's called us to live. So we commit. We do it no matter what. Okay, Paul, I'm listening. You caught my attention. This is who I want to be. This is who I want us to be. I want us to be a body that is so beautiful, that is so set apart from the rest of the world. Not because we're some secluded special club and they don't get to be a part and participate. No, it's just the opposite. They're invited to come and join. All are welcome. Amen? But, but that we would be so striking to the world that they would just look at us and just wonder, how is that possible? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is how it's possible. So in closing, 
just to reiterate, friends, church, this is, this is it. This is the foundation. Like, if this is not what we've been doing all along, get rid of it. Destroy it. Like, be done with it because this is who we're called to be. And if, if how we've been living and operating up until now doesn't look like this, and maybe even some of you, like, I can read the looks on some of your faces and I can just sense what you're thinking. You're like, this is not possible. This is just not possible. I have a holy imagination, or I want to. I'm, I'm embracing more of a holy imagination. And I know we'll get it wrong. I'll get it wrong. You'll get it wrong. But when you get it wrong, I'm not going to be quick to to criticize or quick to point it out to you. I'm going to make every effort to respond with love and grace and humility because that's the way that, that Jesus has responded to me. And so why would I respond in any other way? That's what I'm talking about, church. We submit as the body, we submit to Jesus' lordship. We submit to his headship. Therefore, our aim as the body of Christ is to grow in unity and to mature into the fullness of Christ. We never stop. We never think we've arrived. We keep going. We press on seeking to grow to look more and more like Jesus today than what we did yesterday. And friends, this is what Paul knew was Christ's goal for us all along. Like, Paul is not introducing anything new to Christians. Jesus himself prayed this prayer in John 17. Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is for those who will believe in me through their, the disciples' message. Jesus prayed for us, church. He says, that all of them, I pray that all of them may be one, just as, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Jesus prays for the church, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory. Jesus has given us the glory that, that God gave to Jesus, that we may be one as God and Jesus are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. This is how the world knows, by our love. This is how the world sees Jesus, by our love, by our commitment to a radical, reckless kind of love. A love that when everyone else says, nope, I'm done, I give up, I'm out, we keep going. We don't stop. Even when we think we've given it out too many times, we, we seek to give it out even more. When we've been offended, when we've been hurt, when we're criticized, when someone said something to us that was rude, when, when someone hurt our feelings, we, we work to make it right, right? We don't just let them walk all over us. We work to make it right, but we respond and we do so only through the love of Christ. I'm going to invite the praise team to come, because if I don't do it now, I may not stop. 
I feel very passionate about all this. And, and this has come at, to me, it seems like just the perfect time. Like, I just, I really feel deeply that, that this is something that, that, that God wants us to pay attention to. Because I think a lot of Christians and a lot of churches, they find their identity in many different things, all the while claiming Christ. And, and sometimes I, I just wonder, like, is that really the way of Jesus? And so I think it's so important that we strip everything away, everything we've known thus far when it comes to being the body, the church, and that we open our hearts over the next several weeks, I'm asking, you some, I'm asking you to do something really big and really hard. I'm asking you to go on a journey with me over the next several weeks. But I'm asking you to, to enter into this journey with your hands open and your hearts open and just willing to receive whatever it is that God wants to teach us, even if it's really hard. Even if what God reveals is, is painful and, and we don't like it, that you'd be willing to go anyways. I'm inviting you over the next several weeks, friends, church, to explore the ways in which we can grow in unity and in maturity in the fullness of Christ. I'll end with this, truly. Lynn Kohick, this is something that she wrote, and I wanted to bring it to you as my closing prayer. Paul brings his congregation before the throne of grace, asking God to show them their great calling and inheritance, which depends on the all-surpassing power worked in Christ's redemptive act and celebrated now in Christ's exaltation to the Father's right hand. He closes, Paul closes by introducing this key theme within the epistle, namely that the church is Christ's body. So today I, with you, come before the throne of grace asking God to show us, reveal to us, give, her, give us a greater imagination. In a few moments, we're gonna gather to do what is really a gift, and that is gather together as the body to receive communion. But before we do that, I want us to properly respond and reflect to what it is that we are being called to, to this identity, and to confess all the ways that we have maybe failed to live into this kind of vision for the church. And so God, as we, as we come to a moment of reflection and response, we Open up our hearts, truly, intentionally. Maybe for some of us, we make a commitment today that we are ready to go on this journey and we're ready to receive your beautiful vision of what it looks like to be the body of Christ. Give us a holy imagination. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can stand with you if you're able. We're going to sing together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness. Why? 
seated. I'm going to ask Pastor Bo to come and to help me prepare to serve. Um, I don't ever want us to rush into communion, into the time of communion, because it truly is significant. And a lot of churches do it just a few times a year, and some churches do it every week. And we do it once a month, and and I think it's a healthy kind of in-between, but even still, I worry sometimes that doing it once a month can, can, if we're not careful, we can just go through it like a habit or a routine without really contemplating the significance of communion. 
And, and just to remind you, and our kids are in here, and, and some of them maybe haven't really grasped this before, and I think this is a shepherding, discipling moment for our kids, even for some adults. That's fine. That when you, we call it the table, right? That, that, that Jesus instituted this at the Last Supper. He was gathered around the table with his disciples. He was inviting them to receive this gift. And so we are being invited to receive this gift. And so we gather here at the table, we call it. And I love for you to imagine like a giant banquet table. And we are all just taking our seat around the table together. You wouldn't be sitting like this if I had my way with it. We'd be sitting all together around a table. Because we are one. We are a body. We are a community. We are family. And so when you gather around this table, so to speak, we're reflecting on a lot of things. And, and there is an aspect of communion where we reflect on the great sacrifice of Christ. As we just sang in this song, he paid our debt. He, he died for us so that we could find full, abundant, eternal life in him. I did nothing to earn or deserve what Christ has done for me, and he did it out of his love. And so we remember the body of Christ that was broken for us. So kids, adults who may not be aware of, of what we're saying to you when you come, we say, this is the body that was broken for you. That represents the body of Christ that was broken for you on the cross. And then when you get the juice, we say, this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. This juice represents the blood that Jesus spilled on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could live into this vision that Paul has. And so that's profound, and I don't want us to miss that. It's a somber, holy moment. But then there's this other aspect of communion that I really love and appreciate, and that is that we are coming to the table fully aware that we bring nothing. You've been invited to participate in this amazing banquet, and you come empty-handed. And it makes you feel kind of awkward because no one likes to show up without something to give at the banquet, right? You want to have your dish, too. But we come to this table empty-handed, and that's why a lot of times I invite you to come with your hands cupped to, to help you acknowledge you bring nothing, and Jesus gives you himself. Tangible gifts that you can touch and feel and hold and taste as a reminder that Christ fills us. He gives us more of himself and his strength, and friends, I don't want us to miss that. This is a profoundly important moment. None are, none are obligated. All are invited. You don't have to be a member here. But we do ask that you would have some time of reflection before coming and receiving. That, that if you come and receive, you are saying that you are in need of more of Christ. That's what you are proclaiming when you come and receive. So you're always invited to take this time to pray to the Father. Have a moment with God where you share with him what's on your heart. And so in just a moment, you'll be dismissed. An usher will dismiss you and you can come here or here, depending on where you're at in the sanctuary. Come, you'll grab your elements, you will hold on to them, and we will all receive together once everyone has been served. But as always, first, if you are unable to come forward, 
I'd like you to lift up your hand so that I can bring this to you at this time. we come before you in this holy, reverent moment. And God, we just take this moment to reflect on this tangible grace that we can touch and hold. God, I pray that in a way that only you can do, that you would bless this bread and that you would bless this cup. And that when we receive, God, that we would be made more complete only in you. When we receive, God, may you fill us with more of your love, more of your strength, more of your wisdom, more of your power to be the church and the people that you've called us to be. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and the one in whom our strength is found. Amen. Friends, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat. And every time you do so, even now, do so in remembrance of me. So take and eat and be thankful today. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, is my blood that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And every time you drink, even now, may you do so in remembrance of him. So take and drink and be thankful. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this beautiful doxology together this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. are deeply and profoundly loved. And I pray that you would go in the grace and peace, wisdom and discernment of our Lord. Seek to know him deeply this week and rest in his great love. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day.